Hi, welcome to Toga in the Morning. I am your co-host, co Sasha Kramer. Kramer. And we are also here with our band leader, Bjork. Bjork, how are you doing on this fine, fine Tuesday evening doing, in the morning? Ah. Ah, yes. I am doing very well. Thank you very much. I have been practicing a song to sing a lullaby to you both while you record this podcast. I think it will demonstrate the futility of recording the human voice because truly it evaporates into the ether. And indeed, we will all be gone someday. So what is My goodness, the Sasha, point? let's take a quick aside. Um, it looks like the Bjorkbot has malfunctioned. Uh, we remember last time this happened, how many interns we lost. Um, we got to hope the, the rate... We, <laughs> we sure them. didn't. <laughs> if anyone wants an internship here, uh, we don't pay. Um, yeah, let's... Uh, that's, that's, that's not that it's bad, not though. That bad. Um, <laughs> let me just fiddle with the settings on, on it and... and, and uh, bloop, bloop, bloop. Yes, it seems I am Bjork. Bloop, bloop. Oh, 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 here I am. Okay, so I, I seem to have uh, recalibrated myself. Sorry, I had to defragment my hard drive. It had gotten all bogged up with all the time I've been spending with Werner Herzog solving crimes with our friends Street Pug Alicia's. Oh, or is it is it just Pug in this universe? I don't know. Where am I? Who am I? <laughs> um, it's a good question, Bjork. We'll leave that one for the philosophers to decide. I noticed uh, you also seem to adapt a little bit of Herzog's personality Indeed there. I have. I, I, Is that a function as, of your nanomachines? As, as my nanomachines um, invade his brain and, and map every one of his thoughts onto mine, uh, some of them run off a little bit. So, you know, I get a little darker. Um, sometimes I'm like, ooh, is it the song or is it uh, the, the swan song where it dies and we never see it again? And that's so Ferner. Like, do swans only sing when they die? Um, but they sure make a big racket. I'll tell you what. Um, my neighbors are complaining <laughs> a lot, but um, I'm making my new album Swan Song, so, you know, got to get those samples. Well, I'd like to not dwell on that as much as humanly possible. Grisha, do we have any sponsors uh, this yeah, week? Yeah, yeah. Before PETA gets back to us on this whole Bjork thing, um, let's just say that we are sponsored. Um, our lead sponsor is Steak Mittens. Uh, steak Mittens. If you, have to, if you have to ask what they're for, <laughs> you can't afford them. And they said... N- Doubling down on this whole anti-PETA yeah, thing, said, huh? Yeah, they said not to, not to say anything else. <laughs> Um, I hope I didn't violate the contract there. And, oh, um, another one of our big sponsors is, um, actually, yeah, once again, the good folks at Tinkle Sploosh Water Sports Park are sponsoring uh, Toga in the Morning. So it says, grab your tummy bananas and come on down, because Tinkle Sploosh Incorporated is proud to announce that they have two new areas of their park. Um, do you want to know what they are, Sasha? I, I I can't wait. You you know that I love Tinkle Sploosh Water Sports Park. You know, if I had a choice, I'd be there right now instead of recording the show. You know, we should record a show live on set there, live on stage, live yeah, on Sploosh. No, yeah, we could be splooshing out live, and it's even better to go down there now um, because they just opened two new areas, like Disney World style, 
Um, you know how Disney World is like opening a new Star Wars exhibit. Well, Tinkle Sploosh Water Sports Park is, you know, they've, they've got their finger on the pulse. They know people want more. And that's why they've constructed an entire new area. So you can now take the yellow brick road down to Blumkin Village. Or you can relax in the Cleveland steam baths. But just watch out for those frisky rascals in Felchelli. And remember, kids, walk, don't run. Yeah, running is not a route. It's Ding. very slippery at Tinkle Sploosh Water Sports Park. <laughs> and you don't want to fall down. Shh, definitely is not a route. Exactly. Strictly exactly. fall down. If you do want to fall down, you know, that's your thing. No one is going to mind. All right, enough with yeah. the bills. Let's get to the meat. All right, show's on. Sorry about those uh, they sponsors, don't, They guy. don't pay us to just sit around saying if AIDS, you ever want to you know? fast forward through the sponsors, you know, it's just a button yeah. you push. I do it all the time. Well, I don't because I'm a God-fearing American, and I believe in uh, capitalism and worshiping the God of money and sometimes burning money in a sacrificial rite to try and, uh, you know, to attract yeah, more money. It's like yeah, negative, you got to burn you know? money to make money. Doesn't doesn't really work though. Isn't that how the saying goes? I hope I'm not getting that wrong. <laughs> no, I bet that's that's what Nick Cage thinks though. <laughs> yeah, it sure does. Broke. <laughs> uh, I love him, but yep, not good with his money. But that's it good sure news for is. the rest of us. Uh, but hey, I'm getting ahead of myself here. I think it's time we're going to start off. With a lesser, perhaps I want to say lesser known, maybe a lesser regarded, uh, but no less important figure in the history of American Cinemascape, and that is Steven Seagal, old SS himself, as I'm sure he yep. wishes um, to be known. And that known. stands for Sensei Seagal, if, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, uh, for a little while in the 90s, he ran a ill-fated uh, children's Saturday morning cartoons called Steven Sensei, um, but mostly Sensei Seagal. Okay, correct. very cool. And uh, <laughs> tell me, why are we talking about it Steven is. Seagal in 2017? <laughs> What's he doing other than eating pork we, sandwiches? Uh, not a lot. Uh, we're here to advertise Stephen Skull's pork sandwiches. No, I'm just kidding, guys. Of course, uh, he's got movies, and when you think Stephen Seagal, you think direct to DVD. <laughs> direct to DVD. I don't even know what. What do you direct to? It's not going to theaters. It's, it's still not direct to video cassette. <laughs> pass and I go. Think, I think his video is still somehow. Yeah, it's probably direct to VHS. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, wow, I got really sidetracked in that sentence there. Um, Direct-to-video martial arts releases. I Now, Grisha, you linked me one trailer. I uh, did a little bit of internet sleuthing, clicked another link on YouTube, and watched a second trailer. And I'm 90% sure they filmed those movies simultaneously because not only are they very similar in plot, not only are they uh, look like they're filmed... I don't know, like using an <laughs> iPhone or something. <laughs> but they also look... He's wearing the exact same thing. I mean, I, I, I would say he's the same character, but that's been pretty much the case for his entire film career, so that's not that's not really indicative yeah, of anything. Yeah, and clearly someone told him, like, hey, if you... But strikingly similar. Yes, strikingly similar, as you said. Um, it, it does feel like someone told Steven Seagal, like, if you wear black, it's a slimming color. But there's a certain punchy point 
where that's not convincing anymore. And Steven Seagal is like well past that point. Like he's got a straight up beer gut, you know, and I'm not saying that you can't, you know, do Aikido with beer gut, but as the heroic male um, in the film, there's definitely a little bit of uh, disbelief there when you see him, <laughs> you know, just swagger on the screen. Belly first. <laughs> swagger. Yeah, I'm pretty sure Swagger is his preferred mode of locomotion because he knows no other. There is no other way to move that bulk around. But Grisha, I think in American cinema history, there is a precedence for this. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not sure if you've ever heard of a little movie, uh, maybe small, maybe a little bit under the radar for you, called Citizen Kane, huh? Maybe you heard of Orson Welles? Those names ringing any yeah, bells? Yeah, ringing some bells. You'll recall how uh, how grand Orson Welles became in his later years. How oh, prosperous. yeah. No, he is kind of the Orson Welles of Kung Fu. Now that you mention it. It's correct. Yeah. Although, I, I'm pretty sure I've said it before on the podcast, but I could watch drunk Orson Welles takes of champagne and wine commercials all day long. Sometimes I do. I may have done that today. Who knows? Oh, man. Yeah. It's good. So, Grisha, I have one hard question for you. This is a patented toga in the morning. Hard question. Are you ready for it? Hard question time. Has Steven Seagal made his Citizen Kane, or is it yet to come? Um, well, clearly it was uh, the, 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 the trailer for one of the two films we watched. Um... One of which opened with this sweet line. He's like, trouble always comes in a little black dress. Of course, it usually does. Or something like that. And then it's a woman that's like... <laughs> it's A woman who was far too beautiful to be with Steven Seagal, even when he was not paunchy and, you know, his ponytail was still luxurious. But now it's just like, it's, you know, a King of Queens-style mismatch. And, yeah. I'm not, I don't recall that a romantic relationship was implied. I know driving cars was implied. I know what up must approximate snappy banter in Steven Seagal's mind was implied. Uh, certainly guns and punching, definitely implied. Uh, punching a lady, also implied, but not by Steven Ball Seagal. Ball admiring. By the bad guy. That was a big part. <laughs> oh, yeah, what the fuck? It was, oh my god, the writing's the so bad. The best part bad. of the trailer is, is this... You've got balls, I'm glad you admire them. No, I, the line was, I've got to admire your balls. And then Seagal's line, which was even better, was like, thank you for noticing. <laughs> yeah, that was the one that was like, why? <laughs> why, who thought that? Yeah, just let the dude say he admires your balls. Be like, thank you, I shine them. Um... You know, we're, we're getting into seagull mantis I mean, I here. I feel like once enough... Once... That's true. I guess I, I don't know that we need to spend too long on this. Although, I feel like when I looked on his Wikipedia, there wasn't a whole lot there. And I guess I just... I, I can't really recall any big movies I've seen him in, but he was just like an ever-present in my mind of like action movie 
quote-unquote star, you know? Yeah, I think that he had a time. I'm not sure he was ever that big, though. I think he had a time, probably before, you know, while we were still, you know, youthful and listening to Blink-182, etc. Um, I feel like that was his time. I'm not, I'm not super sure. <laughs> probably even before that. Well, yeah, I know he's, like, before our time, but, like... I'm saying when I looked at his Wikipedia, nothing jumped out to me as like, oh, that's when you were famous. It, it, it was more, it was like a pretty humdrum, I don't know. I'm guessing, I don't know, maybe he can make his movies cheap and he's just been like coasting on that forever. It sure seems that way. <clears throat> yeah, or maybe I briefly skimmed the Wikipedia and then just uh, threw out some bullshit. Uh, one of those two. Yeah, you listeners, you're going to have to tweet us about which one is true. Yeah, we still have that Twitter account. I'm pretty yeah, sure it's at Toga in the morning. Yep, hasn't piped Follow up in it, a while. Tweeted it. Hash, hashtag it. Sure. Mentions. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah. All this newfangled social media. Exactly. Rate, review, fillet, tickle the balls. You know, do all the YouTube things. <laughs> Nice. Um, Cool. Well, I think that moves us on to the next segment we have here, which is Thunder Qualified Movie Reviews. And Grisha, we teased this last time, and I'm happy to report that we both watched this movie, but tell the beautiful, beautiful listener what we'll be reviewing this week. Um, We are reviewing a spiritual sequel that is called Bad Lieutenant Port of Call New Orleans by, I want to say, friend of the show or, I don't know, guy on the show, Werner Herzog. He was definitely in our fucking infecting our Bjorkbot again. Guy, through no fault of his own, is associated <laughs> with our show. <laughs> yep. <coughs> He's innocent in that. Um, I'm kind of wondering, like, how he managed to steal the idea for Street Pug, and then kind of give it, like, a serious, very real, um, unforgiving reimagining in this film, because, like, it seems as though, um, the plot of this movie is, you know, a dark reimagining of Street Pug, whereas, you know, Street Pug DA, the the show that we feature every week, is kind of a a campy reimagining, um, of this movie. I mean, some would say more true to life. Uh, but I, again, I'll leave that up for the listeners to decide. It, it's art. There is no right answer. Yeah. Um, what I will say, Grisha, is that time is a flat circle and that causality can not be implied or ever proven and certainly not in a court of law. I mean, you say that, but I, I have a feeling our, our fucking time lawyers are going to take this Herzog character and nail him to the wall for, for stealing our idea for Street Pug and then making it into a movie years before we even had this podcast. Yeah, for sure. It's it's clear that uh, uh, f- uh, foul work was afoot. Yeah. For some reason, my brain was like, look around for a foot pun. <laughs> Why? <laughs> I didn't find one, guys. I'm sorry. All right, we'll do better uh, next let's time. Let's down. Yeah. Uh, do, we even, <laughs> do we even mention the name of the movie? Um, yeah, Bad Lieutenant, Port of Call, New Orleans. 
All right, just to be sure. Get in there. Get in there nice yeah. and good. Nice in your ear holes. Yeah, it is an awesome movie. And to date, I believe it's the only straight fiction Werner Herzog movie I've ever seen. Nope, that's a lie. I watched Rescue Dawn. But it's definitely the best one. Yeah. And it, it it's actually, um, they kind of just let the cameras roll and, and just filmed uh, Nick Cage's acting method and then made a detective story out of it. That was what yeah, I took yeah. Large portions of this movie were actually taken from an unreleased documentary that Werner Herzog was making about Nicolas Cage's life. But then due to legal issues and uh, Herzog's own sense of cinematic destiny, he decided it would be better to reframe the footage uh, as a grit- gritty tale of uh, murder uh, in the, I wanted to say French Quarter, in the Big Easy. Damn it. Yeah. <laughs> I was looking for a, for a different way to say New Orleans. <laughs> the movie's uh, set in New Orleans, apparently for budget issues. And basically the long and short of it is Nick Cage is kind of like a gambling, slightly douchey, but not too douchey cop who hurts his back, gets put on painkillers, and then just starts stealing heroin from the evidence locker, and then starts doing, stealing cocaine from the evidence locker so he can get up and go to work, and then just starts mixing and matching throughout the rest of the film at, at, at a powerful rate. Yeah, so this is an interesting thing, because I certainly have not seen the original Bad Lieutenant, and I don't even know that I've seen the cover of it. I know it stars Harvey Cart... And I know... Harvey Cartel. And I know that he hangs dong in the film. (laughs) Dude hangs dong. Oh, yeah? Yeah, respect. I'll have to check it out. So, yes, I am aware of there being a movie called Bad Lieutenant, and that's literally all I know. So I'm not sure how much of the character's drug addiction and such is supposed to be pre-existing. Uh, I mean, cer- certainly the case you've laid out is, like, how it's sort of presented in the movie because, like, the first thing that happens is he hurts his back and then gets an award, mm. then he gets on opioids, and then, like, clearly just d- devolves into all sorts of other drug yep. use. But it's not necessarily stated that he wasn't already doing that, you know? It's only, uh, it's like, what, six months? It seems weird to go from, like, probably wasn't a stand-up cop at least, you know, we can pretty much assume that. Yeah, he's already gambling, so you know he's kind of got that, like, addict vibe. Because, like, he rolls in with Val Kilmer, who, who, like, shows up at the beginning and the end of the movie. Um, and they're just, like, <laughs> betting about whether this guy is going to, how long it's going to take for this guy to drown as the water slowly fills up this prison this guy is trapped in. You're like, that's pretty dark. But then Nick Cage is, like, really douchey to him. He's like, I got $50 underwear on. You think I'm going to come down and rescue you in that dirty water? But... After he says that, he does. And you're like, oh, he's an okay guy. But then he hurts his back. And then he starts doing all the drugs. And Mm. the movie doth proceed from there. Wonderfully. So let's talk about the crime he's trying to solve. You know, I wanted to say some Yambos got murdered because that's the word they use in the film, and I have no idea how offensive that is. So, apologies. <laughs> I guess they were Senegalese? Yeah. It kind of sounds offensive now that I'm <laughs> saying it out loud. Yambos. I, it's, uh, yeah. um, I was not aware of that racial slur until this moment. I hope it's not too bad either because I just said it. <laughs> well, we're clearly coming from a place of... Profound ignorance. And anyone who's listened to the podcast can attest to that. They sure can. But yes, a, a family was murdered uh, quite quite uh, ruthlessly, we can say. Mm-hmm. 
because they were clearly like stepping on someone's heroin territory. And what's interesting Correct. about this cop movie that I've never seen in another cop movie is, is they pretty much know who it is from the get go. Like, yeah, it's Exhibit. Mm-hmm. Well, Grisha, let me tell you, X gonna give it to you. Yep, and uh, he's going to. He simply is. I believe that refers to DMX, but <laughs> I'll allow it. Is it? Um, yeah, dude, X gonna give it to you. It's a DMX song. Hmm. Exhibit could probably cover it. Yeah, Exhibit, like, he was on Pimp My Ride. He didn't, like, have a bunch of good songs. Like, he was a rapper. But he definitely, I mean, like, yeah, neither did DMX, so. <laughs> DMX had great songs. How dare <laughs> Not true in, in any universe, I don't think. <laughs> you're right. I think you're, you're right. X, ah, damn it. Yeah, ex- now I want to look up a list of exhibit songs. Exhibit is probably more famous for his charm as an actor, really, than a rapper, to be quite honest. And he's good in the movie. Like, he's, you know. I knew it was Exhibit the whole time, but I, I totally bought that he was this character who was kind of a- his, his name's Alvin? <laughs> I know, Alvin dude. Nathaniel Joyner. Yeah, all badass rappers. Wow, especially like Snoop Dogg's first name is Clifford, which definitely blows. <laughs> like, yep, I would probably change my name to Snoop Dogg too if my first name was Clifford. Snoop the Big Red Dog. Yep, but he, you know, luckily left out the Big oh, Red, and, and and he is cool to this day, thanks to that choice. You know, an exhibit. Really more famous for pimple, pimping people's rides than, than making the raps. I can't really think of any exhibit songs off the yeah. top of my head. Like, maybe some he's featured on, but... I, like, vaguely remember one where he's on a tour bus and he does the X sign with his arms. That makes sense. Mostly he was just giving people <laughs> uh, ridiculous cars. Laughing at their cars. Uh, good on him. Yeah, I enjoyed the sort of David Letterman approach he took to that show. He's like, I'm going to show up stoned. I don't give a shit that I have a TV show. Here we go. <laughs> shit. He really did a song called Symphony in X Major. It's rad. Oh, that is pretty baller. Oh, All right. It samples a portion of Johann Sebastian's Bach Brandenburg Concerto Number no. 3. Shit. Uh, music video shot by one of the dudes from Linkin Park. Mm. Sounds uh, like this he's was a Bach motherfucker. The, the, that song is 2002 all over, right? <laughs> yeah. Lincoln Park. Oh Hopefully Sorry, they're better I, at shooting I, music videos than they are at having nine people and being okay. So, sorry, uh, I'm looking through the exhibit singles chronology. Yep. And it goes X, just simply X. Then it goes Symphony in X major. And then it goes, and this is pretty clever, Grisha, see if you can keep up. Multiply. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Was Ed Sheeran that's where... trying to undo him by naming his newest album Divide? Yeah, Grisha, I mean, you, I'm sure our listeners know all about the Exhibit Ed Sheeran feud. Yep. <laughs> that's sort of uh, just constantly rocking the music world, rocking and rapping, soulfully popping. Occasionally yeah. locking. Yeah, I, I know who I favor. In I mean, I, <laughs> I know who I would think would win that boxing match. I'm going to say Ed Sheeran. 
Yeah, I mean, I he's no one ever made a song called dirty. Ed gonna give it to you. <laughs> All right, we've got an off topic. <laughs> Have we? <laughs> no, we haven't. Okay, so You're do right. you think which which of the two artists? Because uh, I've heard they've been feuding about who's going to uh, score the new Redwall movie. And it's a big Ed Sheeran slash exhibit, you know, fight to see who's going to get to write the songs about Redwall. Grisha, I think the only real solution is that they have to stop this fighting. For the kids, they have to come together and collaborate. Yeah. They have to collaborate on the Redwall soundtrack. Exactly. So they could, oh man, and that would be so sweet. Just the dulcet tones of Ed Sheeran and, and, and the hard-hitting raps of uh, um, Exhibit. You know, maybe he could show up and pimp the <laughs> Abbey. assume. <laughs> Give it some, you know, a new paint job. It'd be Blue Wall Abbey, and it, it could have some sweet defensive things that pop out. You know, fish tanks that dump on the bad guys and stop signs that pop out and slap them off the walls. Grisha, do you think there will come a time in which we get a gritty reboot of Redwall? I feel like we asked this question already, but of course. I, I've heard that the Tarantino Redwall I'm going to keep asking it till I get a satisfactory <laughs> answer. <laughs> Until someone makes us a movie. Um, yeah. I really want to see, yeah, Tarantino directs Redwall. Um, we all do. Let's. You should tweet that at him. Because you never know. Maybe he's bored. Maybe he's done all he can do in the things with guns oeuvre that he seems particularly taken with. I mean, we'll have to figure out some way to do a trunk shot. Mm-hmm. But oh, other than yeah. that... we got to do a trunk shot. Um, but, I, I, you know, I think the idea of rodent violence on that level hasn't been done. And that's going to be really appealing to Tarantino. And he would be bringing some rodent ultraviolence, you know, like otters, you know, smashing rat skulls with their tails, laughing, um, the whole log a log a log thing. You know that badger bloodlust, like, it'd be powerful. Nick Cage could play a badger. <laughs> well, Grisha, I thought I had dreams until this moment. And now I know they've simply been nightmares. Thank you. Yeah. All right. Okay, so back Where to Where were we? Exhibit's a drug dealer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, I, like, they find out he's guilty right away. They're basically, like, they put up the board. They're like, this is the number one heroin dealer in the neighborhood. Um, we're pretty sure he killed him because that makes the most sense. Here is top three accomplices. Let's all just start doing police work until we can bring this fucker down. And it's an interesting take on the detective story because it's like... They know this fucker's guilty, and they're just trying to, like, plant some fucking evidence on him. Or, like, get something we'll on him. Well, find evidence, Grisha. Yeah. Find evidence. <laughs> yeah. And uh, there's a great moment in that scene where Nick Cage is like, This is uh, Ronnie, street name G. <laughs> Everyone laughs. What I love about that is he laughs every single time he mentions that person. Every single time he says the words, like, gee, he, like, giggles after it. It's super entertaining, uh, and for good reason. That's just, like, a super fucking generic nickname. Yeah. This guy went to the nickname store, and he was like, give me something basic and easy. 
and they're like, yes, yeah, sir, you are G. I'd like the basic bitch <laughs> yeah. of gangster nicknames. He's a criminal that hasn't heard about, like, the Wu-Tang Clan name generator. And, like, didn't even think to go there. Just keeping it simple, G. Yeah. It's true. Then they do some police work, catch those guys, at um, least, like, yeah, they- find them, bring them in for questioning, right? Detain them as peoples of interest. I feel like they just find that kid that they think is a witness, and then they're just, like, chasing him around for a while. Or... I could refer to my notes, but I don't think there'll be much help. <laughs> All right, let's just squ- oh, skip... Oh, I will say... I, 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 got, I got one thing to say. Um, when they're mentioning that exhibits the bad guy that they're looking for, they mention his priors, which include sodomy. Nice. I thought that was funny. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> they, they keep Because I totally track. remember Exhibit being in a courtroom and he's getting his charges listed off, and then when it comes to sodomy, he just, like, fist bumps the dude next to him. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, I yeah, missed that, but that sounds pretty excellent. Well, that scene is uh, deleted. Uh, sadly, did not make it into the final cut. Oh, man. What are you doing, Herzog? Mm-hmm. I guess, you know, that, that's saying that's the kill your babies thing from directing. You know, you have to you have to get rid of some of your favorite scenes. But that was one of the favorites. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, so then it, let's just say we go, I don't know, to that car crash scene where he's like, he, like Nick Cage goes to visit his bookie. Um, mm-hmm. Bets a bets. Yeah, he's in the hole for three large four. Yeah, he's already in the hole, and he's just betting money like a person that has been up for six days, um, with little rhyme or reason, just doing it because that's how he rolls. And the guy's like, "Hey, can you do a favor for me?" And then he like rolls over to this other police department to try to get a favor. And there Correct. begins. Uh, the beginning of the sort of lizard shot madness that is just peppered throughout this movie that I think really, really makes it great. I don't think in any way, shape, or form it starts there, considering, uh, well, we can debate the merits of the term lizard, but the movie literally opens with a snake swimming through some water. Yep. And then uh, this scene opens... And then then there's the imaginary iguana scene, and that's even before this uh, crocodile-alligator scene. Oh, yeah, and that scene's actually very important. So be in touch back on that if you want. Yeah. Yeah, let's talk about the reptiles in this movie. It's clearly a motif. Uh, like I said, the movie opens with a, a shot of water and a snake swimming through it. The snake then quite rudely accosts a prisoner, which I thought was uh, quite ungentlemanly of that snake, but who am I to judge? Yes, uh, and then and then we, they sort of pop up throughout the film, and the, mostly they are not commented on. To the extent they are commented on, it is solely by Nicolas Cage, except for also that prisoner mentions the snake. But let's yeah. forget about that because that prisoner is probably also Nicolas Cage in a way. Oh man! But specifically, the iguana scene we were referring to is when they're doing a stakeout shit, and they got like binoculars, and they're like in some apartment. And Nicolas Cage comes in uh, high on stuffs, 
And he sees yep. two iguanas, and he's like, get this motherfucking iguanas off my coffee table. And everyone's like, first of all, it's clearly not a coffee table. Second of all, there's no iguanas. And he goes, eh, fucking and he iguanas. Goes, and they're like, huh. Yeah, and then he, he smacks one of the iguanas, and then, like, it's kind of not mentioned, but, like, the thing I took away was it from this was like, oh, Nick Cage has been up so long on cocaine that he is seeing iguanas randomly, but he's still doing his job and doing a pretty damn good job. It's true. I will say, the thing about the reptiles that's interesting is most of the shots featuring reptiles are filmed in a sort of strange way, possibly even with a different camera that's very, like, up close and almost like news broadcast footage style. You know, there's something a bit off about it. And I think that's the director uh, trying to tell us something, trying to say that these particular scenes are noteworthy or perhaps that they say a little bit something else about the film. Yeah, I mean, they probably do. That, that dude's crazy. Who directed this movie? Indeed. Bjork? <laughs> Just kidding. Uh, Werner Herzog, the one and only. A Herzog. Yeah. The one and the only. The electrical pig, Werner Herzog. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I've heard him say that he doesn't do symbolism because it's something he doesn't understand or, like, intrinsically get. Um, and the example he gave was really perfect because he was like, I have known John Waters for years. And just the other day at dinner, I turned to my wife and I said, do you think that maybe John might be gay? Because it hadn't even occurred to me before that. I've known him for many years. I love him. I just don't notice things. And basically, like, he's friends with John Waters, you know, who is uh, super gay. And it just didn't occur to him for, like, 30 years. Um, that was his okay, example so for why he doesn't understand symbolism, but I feel like he's just fucking with us. I feel that he's almost certainly fucking with us. Have you ever, like, watched his movies? I feel like he talks about it all the fucking time. <laughs> like, I've seen this one in Grizzly Man. They're both fantastic. Dude, you gotta watch more of his documentaries. Shit. Oh, and I've seen Lo and Behold. Shah. But anyways, and I certainly, like, first of all, when you're making the movie, there's nothing to notice. You fucking know it all. It's fun, obvious to you. You're just doing it. You just gotta stick it in there. I, 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 and also, is it even possible to make art without having symbolism in it? I think that's a sort of feature of ourselves as humans. I, I don't know that anyone could create art without symbolism. Uh, fight me on Getting Twitter. Deep, you're gonna have to take it up with Herzog, man. <laughs> I will, will. Yeah. Um, I think Bjork knows him. Pretty sure Bjork is him. If I had a, a, a hmm. fashion to guess out of duct tape. I mean, who isn't Bjork? That's a good question. We are all Bjork. Um, uh, everyone but Tyler Perry. Ah, uh, yeah. And Steven Seagal. It just occurred to me... But... Ah, go ahead. No, that's it. Go on. Talk about the movie. For fuck's sake, you guys keep getting sidetracked. First Redwall, now Bjork. Mm. That's true, Bjork. We do apologize. We have a duty to the listener 
to talk about this movie. Did you we have sure other do. stuff to and say? Oh, that, and then there's a crocodile in that traffic accident scene. I think I think it's symbolic of the fact that throughout this movie, Nicolas Cage is acting using his reptilian brain. He's very like id focused. It's it's all like short term pleasure. At least at least that like at the outset or like uh, so far as the viewer knows, you know, for the viewer to connect with his character, this is sort of an insight into his uh, mind processes, if you will. Um, because he's acting uh, very selfishly, uh, very short-sightedly, uh, with the goal of immediate short-term gain for himself. Um, yeah. But then later, he has a different hallucination where he sees a breakdancer who's breakdancing to harmonica. Uh, which, side note, is the same harmonica song from that Darth Vader does harmonica YouTube video from back in the day. Holy fuck. It is. Uh, but that person, as a breakdancer, is a person, which means he, he, he's a human with a mind of his own. And I think that demonstrates uh, Nicolas Cage rejoining the land of people to no longer be a reptilian fuckhead uh, and to solve the crime. Wow. Um, this is That's a my doctoral breakdown. thesis. We're, I know. We're going to have to come back to some of those. So I'm going to go ahead and say that <clears throat> in this scene where there is a crocodile on the road that has caused a car crash he's like rolling up to the uh the other cop in charge to ask him to like scrub off the speeding ticket that his bookie's like daughter's friend got and the guy fucking yeah. high roads him shit i'm really sorry i have like i have two things to ask first of all are you thinking crocker gator uh gator i was thinking gator too and i'm not sure I don't really have any special insight into that, but it looked a bit skinnier. So I was like, Gator. Uh, second, uh, you, you noticed that the, the croc, or sorry, Gator, caused the traffic accident. And indeed, when we... The, 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 the lead into this shot is like a dead Gator, and then you see the broken cars and shit behind it. But then at the end of the scene, a Gator walks away, and the camera's very intensely focused on it. Do you think that's a different mm-hmm. Gator? Or do you think that's supposed to be the yeah. Gator's soul? Wow, uh, I can't speak to that. Perhaps it's the gator's soul. Um, either way, it's it's a long sort of, uh, I want to say, indulgent gator shot. Yeah, um, it was pretty gratuitous. And then it goes to my next favorite gratuitous scene in the film, which is, uh, you know, Nick Cage gets high-roaded by this other cop. who's like, are you asking me to break the law? And Nick Cage is like, I'm asking you, one cop to the other, to do me a favor. And it's clear that he's like, yeah, I'm asking you to break the law. Like, what the fuck? <laughs> Why are you going to be all, like, <laughs> well, simple He clearly has no compunctions about it. <laughs> yeah, he's like, dude, breaking the law is what I do all the time. And then, like, some cop friend of his shows up who's, like, a really beautiful actress. And then the next... And then he asked her on a date. And, like, the next shot after this uh, sort of gratuitous, indulgent gator shot where you're seeing things from the gator's perspective is like her in like lingerie, but her police boots like climbing on top of him. And I got to say, I was like, that's fucking hot. Yeah. I found out a little bit of something about myself that day. (laughs) Oh, this is uh yes. Hmm. I see. I guess I'm into this. She, she keeps the police boots on. I like that. (laughs) Yes. I'll take a ticket officer. 
exactly. And she's clearly, like, he's pretty open with her. She's like, does your back hurt a lot now? And he's like, yeah, I'm doing lots of heroin. Can you get any out of your evidence locker? Mine is empty. I don't know why. That's rad. <laughs> I love how... Yeah, and she's kind of like... <laughs> well, the best part is, like, she's like, ah, they don't let me out on patrol anymore. I'm stuck in property. And you just see his eyes light up. <laughs> yeah. I gotta wonder, because I have a theory about this film that not... Maybe some of the characters, or at least some of the interactions he experiences with them, don't actually happen. Hmm. That's an They're interesting like figments of his thought. imagination. Certainly yeah, there's a couple given the, in particular. Yeah. And maybe this is one of them, because it's like, oh, he goes and asks the guy to break the law, and then it's like, well, you just get laid by a sweet lady who's going to give you more drugs from the evidence locker. Does that seem likely? Yeah, I don't know. For I'm not sure if using the barometer of likely is a great way to figure out why stuff in, is happening in this movie. But you will note that uh, later in the film, uh, that that person's traffic ticket does get expunged. I think that would, you know, lead me to believe that it probably actually happened. Nice. Not super sure. I like to believe that it did, because it was hot, even though he fell asleep. And then she walked away in a huff. Oh, yeah. She was like, are you horny? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and then he's like... It's clear they have a history. Yeah. Okay, then we gotta get to the best scene, which is where he just straight up waits outside a casino till he sees someone that looks high and then just hustles him up for drugs. Uh, That's my favorite scene in the whole movie. Clearly a nightclub. They got casinos in New Orleans? I mean, yeah. Wait. Yeah, probably. Wait, which scene are you talking about? The one where he's in the car and then he basically rapes that girl? No, oh, she was so into it. I mean, yeah, I don't really want to... We definitely do, do not... <laughs> after the Yambo fiasco. <laughs> don't need to put your toes <laughs> into controversy. But... All right, let's get our toes right in the controversy. So now we move on to the scene where Nicolas Cage um, basically just hits up two young people outside of a nightclub. He's like, you guys look high. And then starts searching them illegally. And throughout the course of the way he's searching... Like, he uncovers a case, he can smell crack on it, and he starts going, he's like, where's where's the kibble? Where's the kibble? Which I feel like is the ball, and, like, you can hear, like, the woman sort of recognize in this situation. It's, it's a man and a female that he's, like, shaken down for drugs, and you can hear just her sort of recognize, like, in his tone and in his voice, like, oh, shit, this guy's a junkie, and he just really wants to smoke crack, and he just happens to be a police officer. So his methodology for getting crack was like wait outside this nightclub till he sees someone that has crack and then he's just going to take it from them. Yeah, I feel like way more people must be smoking crack than I realized or maybe so in New Orleans. They seem like upscale white people. Also exhibit smoked crack know. and he was like the kingpin. Like surely you're doing powdered cocaine, right, man? I guess for plot reasons. Yeah, for plot reasons, you know the lucky crack pipe as he says but uh and that's actually nice that you touch that because this is where he steals the lucky crack pipe and i think that's why it's his lucky pipe because like the lady proceeds to bust out the crack inhale exhale into nick cage's mouth apparently doing crack gives you an erection right away which kind of maybe makes sense and i believe it they just 
they just start having weird, creepy sex. Well, he does uncool, dirty talk at her. Yeah, um, and just and shoots the, a gun in the general direction of her boyfriend when he tries to run away, makes him watch. Yeah, that that was one of my favorite scenes because like she's like, I guess going at him through the slot in his business pants. It's not clear if they're having and the sex or starts together. to make a break for it. Yeah, I, I feel like they are, um, but he just the pulls that gun that he has like. Yeah, he has like a large revolver in the waistband of his pants throughout the, the movie. <laughs> yeah, I just like, realized you like that. You're driving he never around. has a holster. Yeah, he doesn't have a holster, and he's got like the largest gun you can have as a police officer, and he's just got it in his waistband. Like, surely that's got to leave a scar, like a mark or something. But he just pulls it out of his waistband, and fires it in the air, and then points it at the boyfriend, and he's like, "You, you watch." You know what? And that reminded me of like one of my favorite. Uh, scenes in the movie which is so like I don't even know what to make of it but at some point uh, in the future Nick Cage has an IA on his ass and they've got him on a couple yeah. things so they manage to like get his gun and he's at his dad's house and like they're like we need your gun and he sort of like reluctantly gives it up and then comes back inside and all the people who are yelling are just sort of looking at him and he just stands there looking really sad and he's like they, they took my gun it's What's a man without a gun? And then just sort of looks kind of like sad and dejected and like vulnerable. Yeah, uh, maybe it I don't know if we want to get into this now, but I'm not sure the G-men are real, at least not both times they appear in the film. Because that time specifically you're mentioning. Oh, man. OK. Yeah. Um, so let's touch on the, the all important second tap grandma scene. Well, let's skip through the first one, and I'm going to kind of get to my theory here. But okay, this is the one where he's hiding scene. behind the door shaving. <laughs> yeah, it's the second one. So he's already gone to this, Fucking like, bad. nursing home and found uh, this woman who's, like, friends with a rich, older, another rich lady, and her son is, like, the key witness that they need to, like, nail exhibit to the wall. Pretty clearly so her the first time man. he shows up, he's like, yeah, She's like, he shows up at the fucking nursing home. He's like, where's your grandson? Yeah. Okay. What an idolized picture of race relations in America you have. I know. I I thought it was all cool. They're just (laughs) friends. No. An employer-employee relationship. Exactly. Sorry. Continue. Cage shows up at a nursing home. He's searching for um, the key witness in the case who's like a 15 year old boy who is the grandson of the nurse of the person that lives at this nursing home all right see if you can all track that at home i think i got that right yep the first time he shows up he's like where's your grandson she's like i don't know he's like where is he and then he shows up he's like all right well we're gonna take your grandson and possibly get him killed by heroin dealers uh because we just want him to you know Pointed the heroin dealer in court, and we don't really care what happens afterwards. Correct. Then, um, that kid runs away to England. Spoiler alert. <laughs> um, good move on his part. And then we get to the, one of the greatest scenes in the film where Nick Cage goes back to the nursing home after already having a strange interaction the first time. 
and like they walk in their room and like close their door and he's like behind the door shaving with an electric razor mm-hmm. and just looking like he's been up for three fucking days um it might be the greatest moment in the film I don't know what and to then, make of it. It's, like, so nice that he takes care of his appearance, but it's also so, like, why? Of <laughs> all the things that you care also, about. he's been up for so many days that he's... Like, that's a, you know, a move we don't think about is people that don't do cocaine and stay up for seven days. That, like, at some point, you gotta get an electric razor and put it in your pocket so you can, like, pretend to shave and go to work so that no one thinks you're up all night doing cocaine. Good point. I hadn't considered that. Yep, and he's found this sweet little moment where he was like, well, I'm going to have to fucking hide behind this door. This is the perfect time to get that shaving I've been not doing. So they show up. He's shaving his face with an electric razor. He wants to know something from them. They won't tell him. I can't remember what it is, but um, I feel like there's two parts of that scene. There's the part that actually happens and then there's that part you like when you're driving away from an interaction with someone you're like I wish I had said this I wish I had just said everything I thought about you but like of course you never do that you know what I mean sure because he in the course of interrogating this older woman removes her oxygen from her nose and then just like folds the oxygen tube over and is like, no more oxygen for you until you answer my question. Which is, like, really bad to do to someone in a nursing home. Yes. Even if you're a police officer, especially if you're a police officer. Is um, that, like, <clears throat> your reasoning that, for why you think it didn't happen? No, so I think that that part happened. Oh. But the next part, after that, she answers his question, and then he just, like, whole hog pulls his revolver out of his waistband, points it at her face, and he's like, you fucking old people, just sucking up young people's money, dying in this place when you could just kill yourself. I would shoot you right now. I should just fucking waste you right now. And he, like, points the gun at her nurse and at this old lady. Like, he's in a nursing home just pointing guns at old ladies all willy-nilly. And I feel like this part is a fantasy. Like, he drove away, and he wished he had said that, I but he didn't. I don't really know why you think that, considering all the crazy shit he does in this movie. That seems pretty... Uh, I, I, that seems perfectly on the trajectory. Yep, here's why. Because when the G-Man and his police officer uh, boss talk to him about this scene, they only mention the oxygen tube. They don't ever mention him pulling a gun on two old ladies in a nursing home, one of whom is a senator's son. Which congressman's would have gone beyond him being suspended. Senator, probably congressman, whatever. Probably not a con- probably not a senator. They said congressman. Yeah, probably a state congressman too. So who gives a shit? But no, nah, they said United States um, congressman. Oh damn! But you know what I mean. That's like, a good point. That's a fair point. The, I think I feel like it was, I had a little bit of a ding in my brain when I watched that scene, but I ignored it and I said, "Shut up!" I'm watching this movie, I don't want to think. But you're bringing the critical thinking right out of me, Grisha. Because when the G-Men... The G-Men show up the first time, and I feel like they're real the first time, but the second time, they show up and they're like, hey, give us your gun. But they don't say your badge. And then he just goes on policing. And then, like, the next time you see him, he's, like, been put in charge of the evidence locker. Oh, that's the best part. (laughs) 
That really is one of the greatest scenes in the movie where it's like, I can't stand to lose my best detective. Now you have to go round in the evidence locker and you just see Nicolas Cage's eyes light up. <laughs> ding, 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 yeah. ding. <laughs> it's so cool. <laughs> that scene is like shut him trying to find the like blind spot of the cameras. <laughs> yeah. And then like someone comes into the evidence locker with a bunch of drugs and he's like, you see this scale? It's broken. I asked for a new one. They didn't give me a new scale. Like, he's clearly just unplugged it. <laughs> and he's like, all right. He's got a bag of heroin in his hand. He's like, just just come back next week. I'll have a, I'll have a little piece of paperwork for your bag of heroin right here. All right, get out of here. And he, like, spanks them on their way out. And then they leave, and he's just, like, looks around <laughs> and just, like, shoves the heroin in his coat pocket. There's definitely a couple great scenes, like one where he's just, like, invading someone's home and he's just like walking through their living room and he's like oh bag of weed and just <laughs> pops in in his pocket and then just like goes on like it like it was barely even a beat and you'll notice it was the first guy they busted the second guy they bust he like smokes a joint probably the same weed Grisha I'm pretty sure it was and that was also a cool scene because like he just like kicks the other officer out and then sits down and lights a joint in front of the criminal who's clearly just like, what the fuck is going on? Who is this cop? He's just lighting a joint in front of me. And then later he brings it up, like, when they're interrogating him and Nicolas Cage is just totally shitty about it. He's like, are you implying that I smoked marijuana in front of you? Wouldn't that be crazy? And the guy's like, oh, fuck, I fell into a trap. I just love the part where... Because it's almost like that was a sneaky cop trap. I mean, I don't know that it got him anywhere, but <laughs> I, I, I love the part where he sits down, uh, rolls a joint. He's like, do you mind if I spark one up to you? What do you want? And the guy, the, the guy's just like staring at him. Nicholas Cage starts smoking this joint and like passes it to the guy. And the guy takes it and then just sort of like holds it. <laughs> like, and Nicholas yeah. Cage like he says like, a okay. sentence and then just like takes it back and keeps smoking it. <laughs> uh, I love it. Love it. Yeah, I don't care. And just so show. you understand Nicolas Cage's character entirely, um, when when he shakes down, there's a great scene that we missed when he shakes down those kids and has uh, that sexy crack rock experience where the lady, where he gets his lucky crack pipe. Let's not forget about the lucky crack oh, pipe. Um, he he gets a he gets a bag of dust from from the boyfriend that he forces to watch, and he gets in his car and he like snorts some of it, and then you just see him go, "Fuck!" Oh yeah. And then next thing you see is him in his girlfriend's house, and he's like, who is a, uh, a, a prostitute played by Eva Longoria? Mm, no. Right? She's really beautiful. It's someone else. Uh, hi, Some Hollywood hi, Eva that's fucking Eva gorgeous. Eva Mendez, yes. High-class prostitute. Um, and he just, like, shows up at her place. Yeah, clearly a high-class prostitute. High-class, high-class. Um, high-class yep. prostitute. Um, and he like shows up at her house. He's like, "Hey, do you have any cocaine?" Like I hustled some kids for cocaine and it turned out to be heroin, and I have to be at work in an hour. And like that's pretty much the expression of what this guy's life is like. Yeah. <laughs> like I dirty cop myself some free drugs. I got the wrong ones. I'm visiting. <laughs> got a dirty my cop myself some more high class prostitute girlfriend. Yeah, so that I can, like, you know, straighten myself out and go to work. 
I gotta say, haven't slipped this week. I like the phrase "dirty cop" as a verb. <laughs> I'm just gonna go dirty cop myself yeah. from drugs. I, I mean, it's also like cop yeah. yourself. Ah, it's great. It's a great phrase. I'm gonna keep using it. Probably not. I'll forget it and die alone. Uh, That's okay. Hopefully, we'll use that in post. <laughs> just yeah. We'll just add in some extra phrases in post. <laughs> uh, yep. Um, and then what other? I don't know. I like. We just need to like touch on the the high points in terms of scenes in this movie, rather than try to explain it's true. it. Because basically, it's a detective story. But the detective is on drugs the whole time. But he so gets his one, of, one of my favorite. Oh, okay. So one of my favorite scenes is one of the last scenes. But to set it up a little bit, I got I got to tell you about that scene where he rescues his prostitute girlfriend. From the hotel in Biloxi, from that guy who's hitting her. Oh my god! Okay, and that yeah. guy is just oh, some like yeah, from the best character in the whole it's, movie. It's just like, do you know? <laughs> it's almost like a joke with this fucking character because he's totally like the like literally a do you know who my dad is? I think like that 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 literally comes out of his mouth. But then he's just got his shtick of going like, is- oh yeah, he's just like. Fucked with the wrong guy. Oh, yeah. And then, like, <laughs> pops out of the hotel door and then goes to the 15-year-old kid and just goes, oh, yeah, and walks away. <laughs> just, what the Yeah. Fuck? No, he had, like, he has this great sort of uh, douchey New Jersey shtick he's doing of, like, oh, you don't you don't even know who my dad... Oh, man. Ooh, this is so bad. But, like, it's all... He has this, like... <laughs> yeah, Kool-Aid man phrase that he's using the whole time. That's just like Um, I don't know how to say it. It's like his phrase and he can express a lot of things with the phrase oh yeah. <laughs> it, it it's like Al Pacino's hoo-ha. Yeah. Like it it means whatever he needs it to mean in that moment. It's it's a lot like the hoo-ha. Oh my god, I love it even the more I think about it, the more I love it. Um, and, <laughs> uh, do you have more to yeah, say? Because he definitely. Well, there's. I don't know if we want to go. Let's just go yeah, straight yeah, to yeah. this. I so wanted to go straight to the end. That's the why end I wanted to talk about it at all. Okay, good. Yeah. Good. Go go ahead. So, uh, the end of the movie here. is where all the things that you think are going to go terribly actually go really great. And there's three separate encounters. So, at Nicolas Cage's desk in the middle of a crowded police room. Where three separate people come in to just give him, like, unreasonably good news. <laughs> and the first one yeah. is this oh yeah guy who's just like, oh, I don't have beef with you anymore. Oh yeah. But, like, it's just like, he somehow manages to make it sound conciliatory. I'm sorry. Oh yeah. <laughs> like, you know, I think my favorite. So great. Th- there's that, but the, I think he makes oh yeah into a question. He's like, are we good here? Oh yeah? <laughs> yeah, I think he does. <laughs> It, it's so great. Like he's, he's like he's saying he's like is everything like oh yeah here in this <laughs> yeah. moment? Because I want everything are we to be oh yeah. Because oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm oh yeah with you. I want you to be oh yeah, yeah with me. Because that's like clearly what he's asking. But he like the actor, you know, rather than using all that, he just says oh yeah and like just nails everything you said in like one oh yeah and it's uh-huh. fucking like the Kool Aid masterclass in acting. It's yeah, amazing. It's not quite Groot, but it's getting there. Yeah, it's very group. 
Uh, yeah, and, and so I guess the rest of that scene is then his bookie comes in to tell him that he actually won a pile of money. And then... Yeah, I'm st- I'm thinking one of those doesn't actually happen. I I don't know, man. I, 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 I'm not... I'm not really sold on your does this actually happen because so far only one of them has had any like possible evidence to indicate it. The other ones are just you going, this Mm -hmm. is unreasonable, which I don't think is again. But anyways, I love how happy they are, especially the police captain. He's so fucking happy about that crack. (laughs) Like, like clearly unreasonably. So like Herzog was just like emote the fucking shit out of this scene. And he was like, like he's going crazy with his laughter, but it's like infectious because it's just like each of these interactions like builds on the next, and you're just like, no, surely, surely none. Uh, it's, it's lovely. Yeah, and they all weren't supposed to work out. Like he had bet on that game, and he had tried to fix it with that football player, and that football player had sat down and wasn't trying to fix the game for him, and then, um, you know, the case wasn't going well. We got a. We gotta touch back on that. To lucky the lucky crack, crack pipe, pipe scene. scene. <laughs> and here we are at the greatest scene in the film. Um the lucky crack pipe scene. So we all know how Nick Cage got his lucky crack pipe. He found two kids outside a casino or a nightclub. And uh he went and he hustled their drugs from them, had sex with one of them made the other one watch and hey he found a crack pipe that he smoked with this lady and then he kept the crack pipe because he's that kind of dick and uh now he's got a lucky crack pipe so he's in a room with Exhibit who Exhibit or Alvin (laughs) um has recently acquired himself like a ginormous bag of heroin um, Nick Cage has been made a dirty cop alliance with him that we kind of just glossed over, but Nick Cage has basically just been like, hey, I'm a dirty cop. You can tell because of how fucking cracked out I look. Um, I'll tell you when the cops are doing things and uh, yeah. you can just run away and you can watch them. He does that for like a week and a half and then just proceeds to like whole hog turn the tables on Exhibit's character. Um, why does he, he... He says he needs enough money that he just starts, like, getting a spoon and just, like, filling up a plastic bag with heroin from the big pile well, of heroin in front of him. from busting, uh, um, oh yeah, man, he is thus in debt to oh yeah, man's dad slash goombas. Uh, so he needs money to pay oh, them. Right, yeah, for But I have jeans. to say, about him, like, becoming a dirty cop with Exhibit, that's actually, like... No joke, one of my favorite scenes in the movie, and I'm still not sure why, so maybe you can help me parse it out. But it's this one, so he he discusses the whole business arrangement with an exhibit, and the exhibit's like, yeah, but, like, don't you care about those dead bodies? And Cage is just like, look at me. Now look at you. I never did. And then just, like, turns and walks away, and I fucking love that scene, and I'm not entirely sure why I enjoy it so much. It's really good because he's, like, that's where he tricks him. Like, he totally, you totally fucking lies to him, and you buy it, too, because you're like, Nick Cage is just this, like, drug-addled son of a bitch. The thing that we don't realize in this whole movie, because, like, 
Nick Cage is doing drugs so hard is that he's still a cop and he's on the case the whole time. That's a good time. point because you do sort of think he loses his way just because of his general non-compliance with the law. But I, but I think you're right. That's the point where he, yep. where he, where he starts lying. But like, I guess maybe it's just like he sells it really well. And I, I don't know. Like, This is maybe part of what I like about it. Is I part of me thinks that he's saying like, "Look at me, I'm this like just uh, broken down, shit, shit, deadbeat cop. Look at you, you're all fancy with your Escalade and shit. Like I want to, I want to be like you. That this is just about money, you know. Um, and then I don't know that this next thing even makes sense, but I'm going to say the words. It's like it's like, look at me now, look at you. I never did, and it ha- it's like basically with that like patter, and it feels just like some sort of weird misdirection thing. Or he just like sort of like look that way, look that way. Fuck you. <laughs> um, no, I definitely buy that. Um, he's on the case the whole time, and you know you could tell at the end of the movie. And then also, there's that great scene where they're like driving around in the car, and like clearly Nick Cage is just trying to convince them that he's like a crazy cracked up fucker, which he <laughs> has been up for days, so he can do. And he's like, I'm gonna kill you all. I'm gonna kill you all to the break of dawn. Yeah. And they all kind of laugh like, whoa, look at this crazy honky. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, that's the greatest thing is he, he's so crazy. They're not really sure what to believe. <laughs> he nails it, man. He nails yeah. it. So then, then we, they, we roll back to uh, Nicolas Cage scooping spoonfuls of heroin out of Exhibit's big heroin pile. Um, they start smoking crack in earnest. Um just for fun and Nick Cage like tries to tell a joke but clearly tells like the cracked out version of a joke that you tell when you've done so much crack you kind of remember what a joke sounds like but you can't quite get it right so you just shout I knew what that joke was and it ends with him just going like oh it's got racial phrases peppered throughout it so we'll just skip most of it but at some point he's like this guy is jumping over another guy then he scored a touchdown he scored a touchdown. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Just, like like, like, like it was a punchline, but it wasn't. <laughs> it, it wasn't at, at all. Yeah. Like he, he, he tells the story like that's the punchline, but it's just – and he's, he's like got a like soup spoon. And he's like scooping heroin into like a sandwich baggie like a madman. Um, the whole time. Yeah, I love that. It's like you can have 25 percent of that. And, and he's uh, just like, all right. <laughs> Scoops it out like I'd scoop yogurt. <laughs> it just starts going at it with a spoon. Yeah, and, and like that's the kind of thing where you know, as a drug dealer, you're gonna be like, "Hey, you might want to get a scale out here." But clearly, Nick Cage is so like off the rails and crazy. They're just like, "Whatever, man, let him go at it with the spoon for a yeah. while." I did like the end of that scene where the Goombas got killed. Um, <laughs> yeah, and then Goombas show up trying to collect Oya's debt. Um, because Nick Cage robbed Oh Yeah Man, who had a rich dad. Rich dad got all mad. He shows up at Exhibit's house, um, and he has a great scene where he's like, "I'm going to take all the heroin on this table," and they're like, "Can you leave half of it?" Because like that's kind of douchey. He's like, "There was a time in my life when I would have left something on the table, you know, so you wouldn't come after me." But I'm old now, and I don't give a shit. I don't leave anything on the table. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Exhibit breaks out a shotgun he had hidden under his desk that you saw earlier. He shoots him. Um, Exhibit and his gangster dudes 
They shoot them hard. They shoot all of them pretty quickly. The Goombas... The Goombas lose <laughs> in this, uh, you know, battle between the twin titans of crime movies. The black dudes and the Italian dudes. The Italian dudes, totally not prepared, um, get surprised by the I first shot. I will say his henchmen were multi-ethnic. Are all very dead. That way. The Italians. He did have multi-ethnic henchmen. He was he was a total Goomba. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? Uh, <laughs> I just yep. looked at my text messages. Uh, Sorry, my girlfriend called me. I texted my little brother. I was like, podcasting. Yep. He's like, duh. <laughs> it's been going on for nigh on an hour. I wasn't sure whether to bring it up more. or not. <laughs> I knew what you were trying to do. <laughs> well, yeah. Anyways. Uh, then the movie ends. Um, and then... <laughs> This culminates, no, this culminates in the best scene of the film, which is all the Goombas are dead on the ground. Exhibit and his henchmen have just stood up and shot them all, and they're feeling very, very gangster. Uh, They also, in the meantime, hit uh, Nick Cage's lucky crack pipe at his request. Um, He busts it out, Exhibit smokes the lucky crack pipe, just to be nice. Um... Seems like that's very important to Nick Cage. And then probably the best film uh, scene in cinema to this date occurs where Nick Cage is like, shoot his body again. And you're like, why? And Nick Cage is like, his soul is still dancing. And then cut to fucking harmonica music from that video where uh, Darth Vader pretended he was playing harmonica. Uh, if you haven't heard it before, it's it's some real harmonica music. <laughs> and I believe played by the Ooh Dancer appears in Yeah. A break dancer, clearly not the man, the Goomba man that it was just shot, appears stuff. Yeah, behind him. Yeah, and, and just starts doing some spinny breakdance shit while Nick Cage looks on with with a what could only be described as a cracked out grin, um, and says his soul is still dancing, and there's just this guy, King, break dancing, while harmonica music happens, and you're and then, notably, an iguana, rolls you know just casually across the ground over the dead bodies, and you're like, oh shit, Nick Cage is seeing shit. Uh, again. Sorry, I still love that. And then he scored a touchdown. A touchdown. <laughs> yeah, and he laughs really hard. Like it's a, like it's the funniest joke anyone's ever. So <laughs> somehow the repeating of the phrase "a touchdown" like it really drives it home for me. Like if you guys like, aren't you guys getting it? Are you yeah. getting how hilarious like this it, is? <laughs> And people accuse Nicolas Cage of overacting, but in this particular instance where he's playing a police officer that has been up for five days doing heroin and then cocaine and then crack cocaine and then heroin and then more cocaine, and then finally getting his perp to hit his lucky crack pipe so he can pin the crime on him, it's not overacting at that point. It's it's the exact right amount for what's happening to that character, and only Nick Cage could bring yeah. you that. I mean, I don't know. To anyone who's complaining about any overacting that Nicolas Cage might be doing, to me, that's like complaining 
I, I built this spaceship. It goes into space too good. Like, who, what are you even complaining about? <laughs> Overacting? He's giving you more than you deserve? Yeah. You bet he is. It's Nicolas Cage, damn it. Yeah, apparently um, I, I watched an interview with Herzog about this, and he was like, at times I would tell Nicholas, let the <laughs> beast. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Man, why don't they have more Talabos? It's clearly a work, like, it seems like it would work Dude. well, you know? It's gold in this instance. This movie snuck under the radar. It was not, like, well-marketed, because I did not know it existed. It's a fucking great movie. And like, dude, no all of Herzog's movies are like not necessarily limited release, but they're all small. Like, no one's giving him piles of cash <laughs> because, to be fair, that'd be a crazy thing to do. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he'd probably take over the world <laughs> instead of making a movie. something. <laughs> yeah. Um. So what else? It's he. He gets that guy to hit the. The lucky crack pipe, and then suddenly, like you haven't been paying attention to this, but the method to his madness all starts to make sense. Because there's a cool scene where he's like in the police station, and there's this other like straight cop there who's working late. And Nick Cage walks in, he's like, "Hey man, I got a hunch. Like maybe there's like a crack pipe that rolled under the bed or something that might have some DNA on." The guy's like, "You got a hunch?" And he's like, "Yeah, I got a hunch. I don't know." And he like he runs out the door. And you can see the guy kind of be like, fuck, fuck, fuck. All right, fine. And he knows what's happened. Like, they, they've they all figured out Nick Cage is on drugs at this point. But he's so good at his job, they just let him do it. And they go there, and they find the crack pipe. And it has exhibits DNA on it because he agreed to hit Nick Cage's lucky crack pipe. Thus tying him to the scene of the crime and letting Nick Cage solve the fucking murder from the beginning of the movie by staying up, doing drugs, gambling, intimidating witnesses, breaking and entering illegally, smoking marijuana <clears throat> in front of a suspect. Um, can you help add to this list? Because I can't keep going, but it goes on. He hustles young people for drugs. He steals a crack pipe, then gets another criminal's DNA on the crack pipe, hides that at the crime scene, which is illegal. What else? Uh, pretty sure he runs a red lighter too. I may have to go back through the film. He runs a finds a college football phenom buying drugs. Proceeds to try to get him to throw a football game, holding the drug car- charge over his head. Um, fuck. What else? Um. Man, we even skipped over yeah, his mom his and his mom. dad. I loved his mom's life. Dude, that's not like, a, yeah, dad's, clearly not his mom. Your, da- your dad's got a drinking problem. No, oh, yeah, his step <laughs> Whatever. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> Same thing. <laughs> dad had to quit drinking. He can't stick to beer God. like me. Ah, a what a wet, line. sloppy mess of a character. <laughs> yeah. But anyways, let's just go over. Can you think of any other? How many laws does he break solving this crime? Hmm, that's a good point. Um, certainly facilitates that lady's prostitution. I, I, I don't know that he, would, he doesn't organize it. 
takes takes the dog. He steals ten grand from Oh Yeah. Um, he holds an old lady's oxygen tube and folds it over. Then he points a gun at her, or maybe not. I mean, I think you pretty much covered it. You're, you're pretty thorough um, in that. <laughs> also pretty sure our listeners get yeah. the point. <laughs> but he gets his man. Men. And there's another great character moment when they finally, like, all run in to bust Exhibit. And Nick Cage is there, drawing his fucking magnum out of his waistband and pointing at Exhibit. <laughs> yeah. Val Kilmer's back in the movie, just at the First beginning 15, of the end. last 15. <laughs> yeah. Um, and there is a great moment where you see a sort of, not total redemption, or just sort of a softening of Nick Cage's character. Because Val Kilmer is all like, fuck it, man. Just, like, say, say he went for his gun, we'll shoot him. And he starts, like, egging an exhibit on. He's like, there's a gun on the table. Go for it. Go for it. I bet you can get there before I shoot you. Come on, man. Come on. You could do it. And Nick Cage kind of, like, shuts that down. He's like, nah, man. I got him to hit the lucky crack pipe. <laughs> I, like, catfished him into this. Like, we got it. We're yeah, good. You don't also, because that him. helps literally nobody. <laughs> Unless you really just want to kill a guy. It's not that this dude was, like, a serial killer or something. It's like he's a drug dealer. You caught him dealing drugs. Buy bars. Done. (laughs) Yeah. I like that part. (laughs) Yeah. And it echoes the beginning, because at the beginning in the first scene, Val Kimmer's in there with him. Val Kimmer's like, come on, let's go. Let's leave this guy to drown. And Nick Cage is like, no. Also the time Val Kilmer, Um, while Val Kilmer Kilmer also punches a suspect, even after he was specifically told not to. He's a dick. Oh, right. We don't like Phil yeah. Kilmer. We like Nicolas Cage. Thank you very much. Don't come back to our house selling Val Kilmer. Yeah. He ain't buying. And <laughs> it's true. We're not. Um, well, I, I, we might have more thoughts on this movie. It's probably time for a sponsor break. Um, Got to get our bills paid over here. Yep. Yep. Gots to. We gots to, guys. Yep. As soon as I can get the spreadsheet to cooperate. So it looks like Bjork has another product. Um, doesn't make as much sense as the last one, but do you want to intro that, Bjork? Um, yes. Um, I have a new product. It's an interdimensional nanobot product, and it's called Pickle Terry for the brain. Um, for the brain, rather. Sorry. Um, apply the Pickle Terry directly to your forehead to hear the music, and then put it in your ear, and it will taste your thoughts. If it crawls inside your ear, it will sing commands to you that your body will have to obey. Um, despite you in, in, in a state behind the body, um, you will have to watch your body do things you don't want to do, and you will be able to do nothing about it. It will be terrifying. Any, but um, to comfort you, it sings a song. A, a song that's like what a flying fish sings um, to its friends when it's flying. Uh, flying fish are very silly. Um, flying fish, will you please pick a side? Are you fish or are you birds? Come on now. Uh, Bjork, how do you feel about ostriches? Okay. Ostriches are um, the most electro- electrical birds of all. They can fly, but they can run very fast, and they love disemboweling people. And I love disemboweling people. And me and ostriches, we share that uh, love That's of cool. disemboweling. I didn't know you had similarities with ostriches. I don't think I have any, although I also can't fly. So there you go. 
Buzzing Buddies. Yeah. Yeah, clearly all of Bjork's hobbies are terrible. What about the singing um, the shunks? Maybe we should move on to some... <laughs> um, no, that, that is the one hobby I have that people aren't terrified by. But yes, the other one I mean, terrified. I would say that ignorant people who are terrified of uh, free expression are, are scared of her music, but that's on them, you know? It's not Bjork's fault. <laughs> and that's why I disembowel them for joy. It's a hobby. You put them all in a camp, and then you line them up, and you disembowel them one by one. And then the higher percentage of people are fans of my music, as I eliminate the ones that aren't. I think it's a sign of our times that the FCC is not going to shut us down, although, God's truth, they have plenty of gauze to. (laughs) I know they do. Um, It seems like they should have shut us down, but it seems like nothing but an all-powerful being with... uh, Nylon magical powers would be the only thing that could keep this show on the air. And somehow, did you say nylon magical powers? <laughs> I meant to say nylon you magical to? powers, as in you know, close to magical powers. Uh, but uh, nylon magic is is as effective as nylon. Magic. <laughs> Nine out of ten studies show. <laughs> Just kidding. Oh, I'm lonely. Yeah. <laughs> Aren't we all, brother? Anyways, uh, speaking of loneliness, um, our next sponsor, um, once again, is Tommy Mutton Chops, and he's back with a new project, and that's uh, Tommy Mutton Chops Craft Beer for Dogs, also known as Huntbrow. Um, we all know dog is a man's best friend, but why stop there? He could be your best drinking buddy, too. Um, and the Huntbrow Brewery is located right next to Tommy, Tommy Mutton Chop's Ironic Hummer Emporium, um, where you buy hunter, Hummers. <laughs> How are you doing there, buddy? <laughs> Whew, I made it through that. Uh, I'm happy to report great. I spent that entire hmm. time trying to think of a beer dog pun, and I got zilch. It's hard. It's hard work. Yeah. I've cl- I've had lots of hunt brow clearly. It works on humans too. Bork, uh, I got uh, hunt brow stouts. The IPAs, they all come <laughs> mixed together in a jug. Yeah, uh, but you can buy hunt brow in those uh, tiny little casks that Great Bernards have. Saint Bernards, Great Saint Bernards, the greatest of the Saint Bernards. Yeah. <laughs> The Great St. Bernards are even yeah, larger. Yeah, they have larger sadly. casks. Um, I know. A lot of people in avalanches just died waiting for Great St. Bernards. Didn't exist anymore. They'd be pretty we sweet. Dog guys. If you were in an avalanche, I bet you'd be pretty put out. And then, like, A, big friendly dog comes. That's pretty cool. And, like, B, it has brandy. That's rad. And don't, like, spoil this with the, like, I, that never happened bullshit because I, I don't care. <laughs> Don't care. <laughs> no, apparently, Sasha, that was a that was a lie. Uh, the dogs all had Mike's hard lemonade. I don't like that dog anymore. Yeah, and people are not happy to see them. I mean, fine, I'll drink it. Yeah, <laughs> stuck in an avalanche, like a, but not gonna be happy about it. Yeah. Um. 
Yeah, I don't think we have any other sponsors. Um, oh, wait, of course, as always, every time, we are brought to you by Johnson's Gas Station Boner Pills. Um, and this time, it's the Wheel of Time edition, um, based on Robert Jordan's famous fantasy novel's Wheel of Time. So, feel the corruption of the male Ice Sedai magical power as your boner courses with deadly masculine energy that is, of course, tainted. Um, side effects include death, and someone has to come in and finish fucking for you. Uh, so it's just like my love life, yep. bottled into a pill. Pill bottles. Yep. Nailed it. Also like the Wheel of Time novels, <laughs> just in case anyone missed that. Anyone that doesn't know about those I novels, certainly did. it's going to fly I right over your head. So, you know, read... Yep. So read... Uh, Read the first three novels, skip four of them, and then read seven through ten. You'll probably get about the same amount as you would from reading all of them. And then finish the other ones. I, I read all that. of them, but the last one, I think. Wow. That seems even worse Drugs. than like how I went about it. All right, that has been our show, and I hope you guys have followed us through this long, strange, uh, at times erotic journey. I'm your co-host, Sasha Kramer. I'm your co-host, Grisha Kramer. And I'm Bjork. See you next time from Toga in the Morning. Play us out, Bjork. Bjork.